Hey listeners, I recently launched an ad-free Serial Napper feed so that you can enjoy the podcast without interruptions. Elevate your Serial Napper listening experience by joining my Patreon community and get yourself an ad-free feed on Spotify. For just $2 a month, you can become a member today and unlock ad-free episodes while still supporting the podcast. It's super easy. Just visit Serial Napper on your Spotify app and click the button at the top that says exclusive episodes for subscribers. Don't use Spotify for your listening? No problem. Just visit patreon.com slash Serial Napper to get your episodes ad-free and enjoy uninterrupted storytelling while you get your naps in. Hey everyone, my name is Nikki Young and this is Serial Napper, an international true crime podcast. I'm back with another true crime story to lull you to sleep or perhaps to give you nightmares. We are taking the podcast to the town of Paderborn, Germany for tonight's case. On June 20th, 2006, nursing student 21-year-old Frauke Liebs was enjoying a night out pub hopping watching the FIFA World Cup, which just so happened to be taking place in Germany that year. At around 11pm, she began to walk back to the apartment that she shared with a longtime friend. However, she would never make it back. When she didn't show up for work the next morning, her friends and family became worried, and her mother reported her to the police as missing. However, Froka, she hadn't completely disappeared. Over the next week, Froka would make a series of mysterious and short phone calls and text messages to her roommate to say that she would eventually come back home soon. The last call would be received on June 27th, one week since she vanished, and no one would hear from Froka again after that. Nearly four months later, her body was found by a hunter in a wooded area, but it was so badly decomposed that a cause of death could not be determined. She was wearing the clothing that she had last been seen in that night when she disappeared. However, her belongings, including her cell phone and wallet, they would never be found. So what happened to Frauke Liebs that caused her death? Tonight, we're talking about one of Germany's most mysterious unsolved murder cases. So let's jump right in. Frauke Liebs was born on February 21st, 1985 in northern Germany in a town called Lübeck. She was the kind of person who cared deeply for others, and from an early age, it was apparent that she would grow up to enjoy a career where she could spend her time helping others. After graduating from high school, she accepted an internship helping the disabled, which set her on the path of becoming a nurse. Frauke decided to move to the city of Paderborn, which had an excellent nursing program. In 2005, at 21 years old, she decided to move into an apartment with her longtime friend, Chris, while going through school to become a nurse. Frauke and Chris had known each other for many years, literally since childhood. They had even dated when they were teenagers, but it didn't work out and they remained friends ever since. 
It was a great opportunity for her to move out from her parents' home and gain a bit of independence while still also having a good friend to rely on. Personally, I could never imagine living with an ex-boyfriend, but Frauke and Chris, they made it work. There wasn't any unfinished business there, so they were able to live together amicably. Outside of the home, they each had their own groups of friends, and Chris, well, he even had a new girlfriend, while Frauke, she was really busy at nursing school. Outside of school, Frauke had dated a little bit, but not a whole lot. She was more so focused on school, and she wasn't the type to just date casually. She preferred long-term relationships. Because of her lack of spare time, much of her social life happened online. She was the girl who was always seen with her cell phone in her hand. Beyond that, she had made friends with several other nursing students since they spent most of their time together. On June 20th, 2006, Frauke's mother was visiting her from out of town, and that afternoon they decided to go out for a bite to eat at a local cafe, along with roommate Chris. Everything was going well, nothing seemed to be out of the ordinary. Frauke was in her usual happy and outgoing mood. When they were just finishing up at the cafe, one of Frauke's friends from school sent her a text message to ask her to come to a nearby Irish pub to watch the FIFA world over some drinks with a few of their other friends. Her mother would drop her off at a pub located in downtown Paderborn at around 9pm that evening. Roommate Chris had forgotten his apartment key, so he borrowed Frauke's and he promised that he'd stay awake to let her in when she returned home later that night. According to the group of friends that she was with at the pub, Frauke was seen text messaging back and forth with someone named Niels until her battery died. Niels was a new guy she had been talking to after being introduced to by a mutual friend. There wasn't anything serious between Frauke and Niels just yet, but they had been texting each other a ton. When her battery died, Frauke would borrow one of the group's phone charges because they both had Nokia's while they finished their drinks watching the game between Sweden and England. And then Frauke left the pub at around 11pm. She said that she was heading home, which would have been a fairly short walk, less than 2 kilometers away. She didn't have enough cash on her for a cab or bus fare, so walking was really her only option. This would be the last time that anyone saw Frauke Liebs alive, because according to her friend and roommate Chris, she never made it home that night. Just after midnight at around 12.49am that morning, Chris said he received a text message from Frauke that said that she would be home a little bit later. The message said, quote, Coming later, the game was fun, not against England, smiley face. Love you lots, see you later. Police would track this text message to a town called Nieheim, located about 20 minutes away. Remember, Chris is supposed to be waiting up so that he can let her in because she doesn't have her apartment key, he had taken it. Chris says that he tries to stay awake as long as possible, but he's getting really tired, so in the early morning hours, he tries to call Frauke, but she doesn't answer. The following morning, Chris wakes up and Frauke, she still isn't at home, and her bed has made, it doesn't look like she has ever made it home. 
Chris would get a phone call that morning from a classmate who was looking for her because she hadn't shown up for nursing school and they couldn't reach her. Chris was now really worried that maybe she had shown up at the apartment without her key and he had slept through her knocking. She's not at home and he has no idea where she is, but it's really unusual for her to just not show up for class. He decides to call around to a few friends to find out if anyone has heard from her, but no one has seen her or spoken with her since she left the pub at around 11pm the night prior. Now, Chris decides it's time to call Frauke's mother to let her know that her daughter appears to be missing. Frauke's mom immediately calls the police to try to report her daughter as missing, but as we hear so often with many of these cases, the police they aren't immediately concerned. Frauke is a grown adult and she is allowed to go out without telling people where she's going, but they do take down her name and her description just in case they receive any reports that might match. So where could have Frauke gone? What we know for sure is that she left the Irish pub where she had been drinking with a few friends at around 11pm. She told them that she was going to be going home. It's assumed that she would have walked home, which would be around a 15-minute walk away because she didn't have enough money on her to take a cab. Even if she were walking really slowly, she should have been home by 11.30pm that night. However, her roommate, Chris, reports receiving a text message from her at around 12.49am saying that she would be home soon. So did she decide to go somewhere else first? Maybe to meet up with someone? And how can we be sure that it was really even Froka that sent the text message? Maybe someone else was using her phone? Obviously, these are questions that immediately come to our minds, as well as the minds of investigators. Now, here is where things get really bizarre. love to travel. From the bustling city of Tokyo to the beaches of Thailand, there's nothing I enjoy more than getting the chance to see the world and experience different cultures firsthand. But the language barrier, it can be an issue. Sure, you can use an app on your phone, but things often get lost in translation. I truly believe that learning at least some of the language of the land that you're visiting is the first step to ensuring a smooth and meaningful experience. That's why I'm excited about Rosetta Stone, the most trusted language learning program available on desktop or as an app. It truly immerses you in the language that you want to learn. Rosetta Stone has been the trusted expert for 30 years with millions of users and 25 languages offered, including Japanese, Spanish, German, Korean, Italian, and more. Learning a new language can be tough especially with all of the different nuances. But Rosetta Stone is designed to help you speak like a local, so you'll feel confident in what you're saying. I don't know how many times I've been traveling to a new country and struggled to get my point across just because I wasn't properly pronouncing something that I thought I knew, which is why I love Rosetta Stone's built-in true accent feature, which helps you master your accent. They also have convenient desktop and app options so you can learn on the go. Rosetta Stone's lifetime membership includes all 25 languages, 
So once you're finished learning one language, you can start on another. Whether you're an avid traveler like me or just want to impress your friends with a new skill, it's a steal of a deal at 50% off. That's right, 50% off. Don't put off learning that language. There's no better time than right now to get started. For a very limited time, Serial Napper listeners can get Rosetta Stone's lifetime membership for 50% off. Visit rosettastone.com today. That's 50% off unlimited access to 25 language courses for the rest of your life. Redeem your 50% off at rosettastone.com today today. Over the next week, Frauke's roommate Chris would receive a series of five phone calls and text messages from her phone. The first phone call happened on June 22nd, the day after she was reported missing. Chris said that it was Frauke's voice on the other end of the line. She told him that she was fine and she'd be coming home soon and that he should let her parents know that she'd be back before he knew it. According to Chris, she addressed him by his full first name, Christos, which was unusual. She would typically only call him by his full name when she was mad at him, just like my parents do with my name. So was she trying to give him a sign that something was wrong? Chris also thought that her voice sounded stressed and scripted. It was a short call and she hung up quickly before he could get any more information out of her. The next contact came the following day on June 23rd, just before midnight. It was in the form of a text message to Chris from Frauke's phone number that read, quote, I'm coming home today. I'm in Paderborn. Love you. Paderborn being the same town that they lived in. Just minutes later, Frauke's brother, Frank, who had been trying to reach her phone pretty much nonstop since she went missing, finally gets through to her. She answers the phone. Frank asks her, What are you doing? When are you coming home? And she responds with, I'm coming home today. Not too late. I'm in Paderborn. Please don't ask. I'm coming home. But Frank persists. He asks her where she is, and she responds that she can't tell him. Then the phone call ends abruptly. Either Frauke or whoever was impersonating her wanted to be sure that her friends and family believed that she would be returning soon, likely to keep the police away. Whoever this was, they were trying to buy more time. On one hand, the fact that it seems that Frauke is reaching out in contact with her roommate is comforting because it insinuates that she is still alive, but the way that she's communicating, it's alarming, because it also sounds like someone's controlling what she does and says. She's clearly not free to just say whatever she wants or free to move. Now her roommate Chris and her friends and family, they begin pushing for the police to do more. They decide to begin tracking these phone calls and text messages, all of which appear to be coming from different areas of the city. They also begin an investigation. They question her family and her friends, including Niels, the guy that she had been texting with on the night that she disappeared. Now, Niels, he said that he hadn't heard from her since their text exchange, and there was no evidence to suggest that he was lying, so that was pretty much a dead end right away. 
The following afternoon on June 24th, now four days since Frauke has gone missing, Chris gets another call from her number. This time, she says that she's not coming back too late, but she'll be back that evening. He asks her if she is hurt, and she responds, No, I'm in Paderborn. I'm in Paderborn. I'm in Paderborn. So far, all of the phone calls and texts have come through in the evening, closer to midnight. This is the first call that's happened in the afternoon, and it's a really strange one. She did not return home that night, despite what she had claimed. Again, the following evening on June 25th, another phone call to Chris from Frauke. She once again says that she's coming home today. Chris asks her if she is in danger, and she says no. He asks why she didn't come home yesterday, and Frauke responds with, I can explain that to you. Chris asks her where she is, and she says she'll explain when she gets home. The call ends. And as you can probably guess, Frauke, she did not return home that night. The next day was June 26th, and there would be no text messages or phone calls from Frauke. By this point, her photo had been released to the media because the police very much wanted to speak with her just to make sure that she was safe. They weren't fully convinced that anything sinister or criminal had happened, but they wanted to be on the safe side, so they needed to talk to her directly. The final contact from Frauke would happen the next day, on June 27th. There was a phone call from her phone number to Chris, and her sister Karen just so happened to be there when the call came into Chris, just before midnight. Chris asked her where she is, and she says that she can't tell him. He tells her to come home, and she replies that she can't. He asks why, and she says she can't tell him. Chris asks Froka if she's being held against her will, and at first, she says yes, then she quickly says no. He asks if she is afraid, and she says no. He asks who she is with, and again she tells him that she can't say. Her voice sounded off to Chris, like maybe she was on drugs or being made to read off a script. He asked her if she was tired, and she responded, yes, very tired. Chris asked her if she knows that the police are looking for her, and she says that she does, because she's been gone for almost a week. When he asks her why she has been gone, she responds with, quote, you know that, Chris. He asks if she had met a guy, and she tells him that she wouldn't stay away for a week for some guy. Chris asks, where are you? And Froka says, mom. He asks again, where are you? And again, she says, mom. Chris asks one more time, where are you? And she says, mom. Which makes me wonder, was she trying to get some secret message across to Chris? Was she trying to say something without saying something? If the people that she is with can't hear what is being said on the other end of the line, she might not raise suspicion by saying the word mom, but it could be meaningful, it could be a clue. Chris tells Frauke that her sister Karen is there with him and that the family is very worried about her. She responds with, tell them I love them a lot. Karen takes the phone from Chris to speak to her sister and Frauke tells her not to ask too many questions. 
Karen tells her to come home, that nobody will be in any trouble. They'll even leave the apartment and she can just pop up. Then Karen asks if she is with one or more people, but Frauke responds with, Please don't ask. I would like to be home. Chris would take the phone back and make her promise to touch base at least once a day, and Frauke says that she will. The call ends, and this would be the very last time anyone would hear from Frauke Liebs. Now there is a lot to unpack with this phone call, which was much longer than any of the others. Her sister, Karen, would say that she sounded almost like she was in some sort of trance or maybe under the influence of something. When Chris asked if she was being held against her will, at first, she said yes, but then she quickly corrected herself to say no. So did she slip up? Was she saying whatever she could just to try to stay alive? Why would her captors let her call her family anyway? Was it even Frauke Liebs on the other end of the line? There were so many questions, but unfortunately there were no answers. And then, a gruesome discovery. On October 4th, almost four months after Frauke went missing, a hunter found a body in a wooded area approximately 20 kilometers away from the pub that Frauke went missing from. The body had been there for so long that it was nearly just a skeleton. However, the police were able to make an identification due to the clothing. It was Frauke Liebs, still wearing the same outfit that she had left the pub in. Unfortunately, due to the state of decomposition, a cause of death could not be determined. Likewise, there wasn't any evidence like DNA recovered from her body, but it was believed that she was killed at a different location and then moved to the forest. Other personal items like her purse, her cell phone, or her wallet, they would never be recovered. Investigators theorized that she had been abducted shortly after leaving the bar, and then she was held captive in the nearby town of Nieheim. The theory was that her captors, they allowed her to make those calls from different areas of Paderborn in order to throw the police off of their location. It's unclear if they ever had truly planned to let her go, or if it was just a way to confuse the police. A motive for murder has never been determined. After a few years, thousands of tips investigated and hundreds of people interviewed, Frauke's case went cold. That is, until 2017, when a couple only identified as Wilfred W. and Angelica B. were arrested for abducting, torturing, and ultimately killing a young woman who they had met through an ad in the newspaper. After being caught for the one murder, Angelica would confess to the police that there were more victims, including another young woman that they had abducted, killed, burned, and then scattered the ashes. They would take out newspaper ads all across Germany to lure women in just to torture them. The victims were then chained up, beaten, starved, and turned into slaves before being murdered. Wilfred W. and Angelica B., they are currently serving 11 and 13 years for the murder of these two women, but the actual number of women that they killed is still unknown. At one point, investigators believed that Frauke could have been another one of their victims. 
The home where they would keep these women was relatively close to Paderborn where Froca lived, but there hasn't been any evidence discovered that would positively connect the killer couple with Froca's abduction and murder. To this day, no one has been charged for her death, and we don't know what happened to Froca during those days that she stayed in contact or the months following that before her body was discovered. The biggest problem here is the absolute lack of witnesses. No one who saw something or knows anything has come forward with information. So now we're just left with these questions. What happened to Frauke Liebs? Why did her captor let her call home to her family? Was she ever going to be let free? Did things get out of hand? And what was the connection? What was the motive? Let me know what you think. That's it for me tonight. If you want to reach out, you can find me on Facebook at Serial Napper. Did you know I also have a Serial Napper true crime discussion group? It's called Serial Society, and I'll have the link in my show notes. Hop on in, because I would love to chat with you about all of the cases that I cover and everything else true crime. You can find my audio on Apple or Spotify or wherever you listen to podcasts. I post all of my episodes in video format over on YouTube, so go check it out. And if you're watching on YouTube, I would love if you can give me a thumbs up and subscribe. I'm also over on X, formerly known as Twitter, at Serial underscore Napper, and I post things on TikTok, Serial Napper Nick, and that's all one word. Until next time, sweet dreams, stay kind, especially in the comments. Bye.